So in case you're wondering, we did do that by design. Didn't have me follow directly after the preschoolers and the kids, because that's too tough of an act to follow. So we wanted to give you a minute to listen to yourself sing, so I could be a little bit of an improvement over that. <laughs> so, uh, and we, you know, just a little side, we, we don't have them in here for you. It's really more for them. And part of what we try to communicate is that they really are a part of the body. They really have something to contribute to the body. They can lead in worship. They matter. And so that's part of, of what it's all about. Even if it scares some of them to death, that's part of what we're about. You know, when we go to Rwanda, we always have interesting experiences. But this year, we had a, I had an experience. I think, I think all of us were there. It was, it was a, that uh, unlike really any other. You know, as we go to Rwanda, we always uh, usually just rent a house and stay in a house in the, on a regular street. They're all dirt roads kind of thing. So we get up in the morning, and I get the coffee going and that kind of thing. And, and the houses are built, you know, there's, there's bedrooms kind of thing. And then there's usually one big living area, and there's usually a, a big set of metal doors with glass. And then there's a couple of glass windows on each side. And this house was no different. It was a warm morning. Uh, we were waiting for our, our, our ride to come pick us up, so we opened up the windows. On This year, the right-hand side, there was the full-length windows, if you will, kind of like the same size as this, but they just swing open. And, of course, there's no screens in the windows. They just don't do screens. The other end, which was like 18, 20 feet over, they just had jealousy windows, you know, the little thin ones you kind of, you know, you turn and they just kind of open up a little bit. Now, I'm telling you that because it, 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 it's a part of the story. So I'm standing in the, in the living area by the table, and you, you hear this commotion, and these two birds come around the corner of the house and up underneath the covered patio. And the bird that's in front flies into the living room, comes right in through the open window. So I'm standing at the door, and the thing's coming in, and it's like coming right at me. You know, I'm standing by the table, and I'm like, whoa. And the first thought that's going through my head, how in the world are we ever going to get this bird out of the house, right? But the bird sees me, and, you know, first thing in the morning, it's scared, right? You know, it sees me. It's a scary sight first thing in the morning. It kind of turns the corner, and I think John was sitting on the couch or whatever, and the bird goes out the far end of the room through the thin jealousy window, right? Lo and behold, the bird that was following it, a much bigger bird, a hawk, tracks it across the room, and as it comes out the jealousy window, locks both talons into it, carries it off. Kind of cool story, huh? Why is he telling that at church? Now, I, I never had any experience anything like that. Pretty close. A few years ago, I was, um, we had some friends, we had people over the house or whatever, and I got a phone call. It was a warm evening in the summer, so I went out in the, in the um, front yard, and I was leaning against one of the cars in the driveway. It was just, just past dusk, so there's a little bit of light still. You could kind of see some, but for the most part, it was dark, and, and I'm standing there on the phone talking, and Next thing, I see these two animals run across the yard at me. I mean, straight at me from the other driveway. And, and in the front, there's a squirrel. And right behind it is a fox, about five feet, just chasing it all out. Straight. You know, and, and I, I, just, I, I just went, ah! That's literally what I did. I just went, ah, like this. And that squirrel didn't change its direction at all. It just went whizzing right by me underneath the car and out the other side. The fox turned around and, around, turned around and run. Now, why in the world am I telling you those stories, these actual events? One of the things I think we need to appreciate as we come to the defining moment that we're going to talk about this morning is that there is in all of us who draw breath, whether we're animals or whether we're humans made in the image of God, there is an instinct in all of us to survive. 
there is, it is our natural reaction to want to go on living. That bird ducked through the window and came into the living room because it was trying to get away from the hawk. It did not expect to meet three ugly white Americans, Mzungus, who were drinking their coffee and as it tried to get away from us and tried to go back out the window, it didn't win in that battle to survive. The squirrel that night lived to another day. And, and I think that's incredibly important as we come to this defining moment that we're going to talk about today in the life of Christ. You know, we've started this series entitled Defining Moments. And last week we looked at the triumphal entry. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. As you leave today, we'll have palms available for you, for you to take. We looked at that experience last week. And we saw that Jesus initiated a defining moment in his life because he wanted to define himself. He didn't want to leave himself to be defined by others. He wanted to define himself for the masses. So he orchestrated an event that clearly communicated that he was the one. That he was the Messiah. That he was the chosen one. That he was the Son of God. And with that, he creates a defining moment for us. Because at that point in time, we can either embrace him as he says he is, or we have to reject him. We don't get to redefine him for ourselves. Because Jesus has already defined himself for us. But today we come to this Garden of Gethsemane. And I think one of the things we need to remember as we look at this text today, is that we really need to appreciate that Jesus was fully human. He was fully divine, but he was fully human. You know, we don't, I mean, we often focus on the divinity of Christ. The, you know, the the Immaculate Conception where He's born and, and you know, as, a, as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we think about His great powers to do miracles, His authoritative teaching. You know, the fact that He had this ability to communicate with the Father like nobody else before. That, that He could still the storms and walk on water. We look at all those things and, and, and we embrace all of those because they are what gives it such a tremendous value, gives His life such great value that when He offers it on the cross, it actually can become the means of the redemption of all who believe. And so we concentrate so much on the divinity of Christ, but when we come to a moment like Gethsemane, we need to understand that Jesus was human. Like you and I, He drew breath. And when He gets to Gethsemane that night, He, he wants to survive. Just like that bird, just like that squirrel that's running from its attacker. Jesus wants to run from this. The humanity in him says, go. And, and all through the, the days leading up to this moment in time, he's been, he's been handling and talking about the things that explain his death. I mean, it's forefront on his mind, and he gets to this moment of decision of, is he going to run in that human instinct, or is he going to do something different? You know, he'd been talking to his disciples about what was going to happen, how he was going to go into the city, he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be offered up, he was going to be buried, he was going to rise again. They didn't have any idea what he was talking about. He had just got done with the Lord's Supper where they had gathered in the upper room for the Passover meal and at the end of it he took bread and he took wine and he broke the bread and he passed it around. And it, it Literally he was, he was handling the symbol of his broken, beaten, bleeding body. It, and then he passes around the cup, the symbol of the blood that's going to... And it's forefront on his mind, and he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is what we read. And I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick up with a 30-second verse. 
I'm going to read a, a number of verses down through verse 52, and then we'll pick up and go over and read in Mark chapter 15 the experience of the cross. Because the decision that gets made, the defining moment that happens in the Garden of Gethsemane, is what leads to the events of chapter 15 in the cross. So then they came to a place named Gethsemane. This is verse 32. It's page 861 in your pew Bibles, if you're following along. Page 861. Mark chapter 15, the beginning, pretty much to the beginning of the New Testament. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John, this is kind of his inner circle, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. This is not your ordinary, say grace over a meal, don't pray too long because the meat will get cold kind of prayer. The humanity of Jesus is putting them into a gut-wrenching, emotion-stretching, body-convulsing, so much so that Luke's version tells us that he was literally sweating. The sweat that was coming off him was dropping off in big, thick drops, just like blood would do, and because it wasn't just a, a light workout, but he was distressed to the point of death. And, and he said, in verse 34, it says, Then he said to him, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow. The, the humanness in me is just so overwhelmed by the moment to, to the very to the point of death. So he says, remain here and stay awake. In other words, watch for me. I need you guys tonight. I need you guys tonight. Then he went a little farther and he fell to the ground. And he began to pray that if it was possible, the hour, reference to his death, death might pass. And he said, Abba, Father. So he calls on this divine relationship, this connection that had never been separated for all of eternity. He says, all things are possible for you. In other words, you can do this a different way. Take this cup away from me. The cup there is a reference to the suffering that he was going to experience, not only at the hand of the Romans, but then as he's crucified on the cross, and then his spiritual separation from the Father, where, where the, you know, as he cries out, you know, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Nevertheless, he says, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' defining moment. We're going to come back to that. Then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said, Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake an hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Great, great verse to underline if you're using your own scripture. Um, your own Bible today. We'll talk just a little bit about that significance at the end. It says, once again he went away and he prayed. And he said the same thing. In other words, if this cup can pass, take it, but not my will, but yours. And he came again, and he found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open, and they did not know what to say to him. And then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? He said, Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. It says, Now while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived, and with him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them, a, given them a single, the one I kiss. He said, he's the one, arrest him, and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who, drew, one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, have you come out with swords and clubs as though I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching me in the temple complex, and you didn't arrest me. 
but the Scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran. Matthew's version of the story adds that Jesus said, you know, you, you take out a sword to try to defend me. He said, I could call on 12 legions of angels. I, 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 could, I, could, I could call on the whole army of heaven to come and deliver me. He said, but must I not drink the cup that God has for me? His, his, his defining moment was then directing him. We pick up and continue to read over in verse 22 of chapter 15, just across the page. The moment in Gethsemane where he made the decisions led him to the point where it says, and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Otherwise, he tried, they tried to give him like a painkiller, something that would kind of help him through it and knock him out a little bit. And he said, but he wouldn't take it. Then they crucified him, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. The two criminals, the two, they crucified two criminals with him, one on his right, one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled that, that says, and he was counted among outlaws. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would demolish the sanctuary and build it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him to one another and saying, He saved others. <laughs> he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified Him were taunting Him. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You know, I think as we process this Gethsemane experience, it's really important for us to remember that Jesus was a man like you and I. You know, and, and he felt and experienced all the things that you and I feel and experience. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I did the service of Paul Silva, you know, who passed away, one of our deacons, and his favorite verse was from John chapter 11. And it wasn't his favorite verse because it's the easiest to memorize. It's simply the words, Jesus wept. But they were his favorite verses because it showed that Jesus really entered into the experience that you and I go through. Even though he was standing at the tomb of Lazarus, he knew that he was about ready to call him forth back to life to be resuscitated, to live out the rest of his, his earthly life. Even though he felt the emotion that was going on, and he entered into it and, and he showed his humanity. He showed he was connected to one of us. I mean, when you think of that story, I, I kind of think about like when we cry at movies, right? You know, we, we, know, we know it's not real, but somehow we still get caught up because we can connect with the, 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 the emotion. That's going. Jesus felt it. He knew it, and he was connected with it. And so when he enters into the garden that night, his instinct is no different than like that bird. This hawk is coming after me. It wants me. I need to get out of here. It's no different than that squirrel who's 
dashing across the yard at full speed, looking to get away from the flocks because it wants to survive. And when Jesus gets to the garden that night with all of this teaching, all of the imagery of the bread and the cup that's just flowed out of the Lord's Supper, all of that is first born, and he gets to it, and he's at the moment, and, and he does not want to die the way he's going to die. He does not want to suffer. And it's not just the physical aspect of it, which was incredible in and of itself, but it's, it's also the spiritual aspect of it, the relational aspect that, that he's going to be separated from the Father for the very first time in all of eternity. And, and, and the Father is literally going to have to turn his back on him and pour all of his wrath, all of his anger, the stuff that's been stored up since the, the Garden of Eden. He's going to have to pour all of that out on the Son. The Son is literally going to become the object of all of God's abhorrence with the way that creation has gone in a different direction than he ever intended. And Jesus himself, the Scripture says, is going to become sin for us. He took him who knew no sin, the Scripture says, and he became sin. And Jesus literally is going to be... He's going to embody, he's going to, he's going to embrace inside of his own body that which he hates the most. And he sees all of that and he's standing in the garden and he says, I, God, is there a different way? He says, let this cup pass from me. And, and i got to tell you, Jesus had options that night. He had options that night. He, he came to, to the thing, let me, let me symbolize using a couple of cups. One is the plan that God had laid out. That Jesus would be betrayed by Judas, go through a trial before the high priest, be condemned by the Romans who had the authority to execute, then he would be beaten to within an inch of his life, so weak he couldn't carry his own cross to the execution, and then they would hang him on a cross in the midst of a couple of criminals, and he would hang there until he ceased to breathe. That was one cup. The other was what he hinted at when one of his followers pulled out a sword and sliced off the ear of one of those who had come to arrest him. He said, listen, we, we could do this a different way. I could call down 12 legions of angels. That's, you know, you, you, you think of the imagery of a Roman legion, right? Just a mass of men. He could, I can call down 12 legions of angels. They would come. I would have victory. So Jesus, as he's in the garden that night, either way there's victory. There's going to be victory over evil. It's either going to be the way the Father had planned it, the way he had prophesied it, or Jesus could make another choice where he could experience victory through the, over evil. There's only one difference, and it's a big difference. If he chooses this, and I'm going to put this down, if he chooses to call on the angels to come down and have a literally a, a military overthrow of evil where he's totally victorious, guess what? None of us get to participate in the victory. Because in that victory, there's no saving grace. There's no atoning sacrifice. There's no sacrificial lamb who bears all the sin of the world. There's none of that. There's victory. It's just no way for you and I to get to be a part of that victory. On this side... The painful side, with the suffering, the spiritual toll, the, all that kind, the weight of sin on him, etc. And Jesus, literally that night in the garden, is on his knees praying, and 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 he's just, he just is, just struggling, 
and the blood is just, the sweat is just pouring off of him in the agony of actually choosing the cup. But in that moment, in the garden, in the midst of his humanity, Jesus says, not what I want, but what you want. And that's his defining moment. Everything that happened on Friday, Thursday night and Friday morning up to his crucifixion at, at 9 in the morning and in and, and the darkness that hit the land at noon and then the, the death that occurs at 3, all of that, it flows back to that. In that moment, in the moment of prayer, Jesus had a defining moment. He said, you know what, I, I can reach for something different and even though every instinct in my body tells me to go a different direction, I'm not going to choose my will. I'm going to choose the Father's will. And because he made that choice, you and I get to have our own defining moments about the choices we're going to make. One of those, as I reminded you, is that in this choice, that we, the choice to do it the Father's ways, there's a choice for you and I to be able to experience redemption for ourselves. We don't get to experience redemption our way. We have to experience it God's way. And so just like Jesus that night in the Garden of Eden, we're going to say, are we going to do redemption? Are we going to do eternity the Father's way? Or am I going to choose to do it my own way? Which is no way at all. You know, the, 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 the apostles, they figured it out pretty fastly that there was no, pretty fast that there was no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We don't get to choose any other pathway to redemption except for saying, I receive eternal life as a free gift from God, and I'm following after Christ. And that has to be one of our defining moments if we want to experience eternity. But you know, it, it goes beyond that. You know, Jesus warned the disciples that night as they gathered, and they're praying. He said, you know what? He said, the Spirit's willing. It's pretty easy to sit in church on a Sunday morning saying, living for God and living God's way. That's not so hard to do. It's a lot harder to go out Monday through Saturday and actually do that. To make the choice to take up your cross daily and to follow Him. You know, to actually stay awake and to pray. And, to, and it takes spiritual alertness and discipline to make that choice. You know, I, I, I don't care. I mean, some of us are, are, are still struggling. Am I going to do redemption God's way or not? You know, I, I, boy, I'd rather be a good person and prove myself and help a lot of other people out and all that kind of stuff and feel like I've earned it. And, 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 and we're drawn in that direction because it feels better to us. But Jesus chose the more humble, the more painful, the submissive way to walk with the Father by doing His will. And, and that's how redemption is offered to us. But once we get to the point of faith, that journey of making choices to do either our will or God's will isn't over. We have to make that. Every single day, you and I wake up and we said, how am I going to treat my spouse today? Or how am I going to treat my ch children? Or my parents? Or my employer? Or my employees? Or my next door neighbor? Or the guy who drives like a jerk in front of me? Or the guy who's driving like a jerk behind me? And we'd have to choose, am I going to choose my will or God's will? My way or God's way? And Jesus said, you know, in order to make those choices, you've got to stay spiritually alert. And you've got to work at it. And it's, and it's in those moments that you and I have defining moments, whether we're going to do it our way or whether we're going to do it God's way. 
So Jesus not only creates the opportunity for us to make those choices, He's also the model for us on how we make those choices. And my prayer for you, my prayer for myself today, is that all of us would make the right choices and they would be truly defining moments for each and every one of us. Let's pray together for just a minute. Father, I want to begin today for thanking you for causing victory over evil. It's a promise you made in the Garden of Eden when you told Eve that her offspring would come to bruise the head of the serpent, which represented evil. And God, I'm grateful for Jesus that he was fully human. But unlike what I've been able to accomplish, like what none of us in this room have been able to accomplish. He chose to do it your way instead of man's way. God, I'm grateful for that today. And the fact that that victory that he achieved as he followed you includes saving grace, includes eternal life, and includes getting to be a part of the victory for me and all of us who would believe. God, we are in this moment in a defining moment. Choosing your will over our will. May we, like Christ, be victorious in making the right choices to walk with you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.